4: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, known as The Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a new book called Chains of Slavery that offers a unique perspective on America's past and possible future. And his name is Brian Ridolfi, and he joins me by phone. Brian, welcome to the show. And did I say your last name Okay
1: yeah yes you said it right okay, good
4: because I'm terrible with names, Brian but um, now this book is uh, is a novel and it is set in the future
1: yes um, the book yeah i I kind of wrote it from a different perspective. a lot of times these type of books are written in a way that uh, you know it, it that if if we continue on the on a, on a certain course that these things are going to happen, but I wrote in a perspective that these things already happen. So it's told uh, from a from a, pa- a past tense point of view. So all the bad things have already happened in this novel.
4: And you're talking about, uh, when you say bad things, for example, a second
1: revolution in America. Yes. Yes, yeah, so a, a socialist revolution.
4: And the year is 2048, 11 years after that revolution. Um, it... Is this a course you think we're on and and you're trying to jump into the future and look back at it?
1: Yeah, so uh, what I'm trying to do is trying to give a, a roadmap on, on to, onto how we're going to end up a socialist dictatorship. So I, I would say 80% of the book is, uh, is a history lesson to how we got to where we are now. And then about 20% is a jump into the future, into what's going to happen that's going to lead us into a socialist dictatorship.
4: And the title, Chains of Slavery, um, where does slavery fit into this? Um, there's a, a subtitle, uh, The End Began at the Beginning with an Institution.
1: Yeah, so basically what I do is I start at the importation of slaves and I end at socialist slavery. and I, So that's why it's called Chains of Slavery, because it's a chain of events that caused America to go full circle. Um, So what I do is I chronicle all the events, you know, throughout history that led up to where we are and where we're probably going to go if we continue on this course. So it's it's kind of...
4: Through American history.
1: Yes, American history.
4: Because when when I first saw the title Chains of Slavery, I thought maybe it was going to be a look throughout human history about various times that slavery occurred but this is this is about a, a chain of events that that began with slavery in the in the new colonies
1: yeah yeah so it starts with basically the importation of slaves into jamestown and it goes from there
4: when you're writing from a futuristic point of view um. Do you map out where you think we'll actually be or where we might be?
1: Yes. Uh, basically, I, I, to predict the future, I just look to the past. Cause it seems like we're just making the same mistakes people have made in the past. So it's actually not hard to see where we're going because we've seen other people do the same things.
4: You know, a couple of minutes ago, uh, Brian, you you referred to the book as this kind of book. What? How would you describe it? What kind of a book is it?
1: Uh, I would call it ed- edutainment. You know, it's it's you know, it's it's not a treatise or you know, it, it's it's a novel. So it's it. I wrote it to be entertaining, but at the same time, I wrote it to be educational.
4: And what are you hoping people will learn?
1: I hope they'll learn that that they'll understand why the things they're seeing are happening right now. I mean, there's a lot of turn, you know, bad turn of events right now that we're seeing in this country, and I don't want people to understand why it's happening and, and what they can do to stop it.
4: Do you think that, that we can stop the, the course we're on, or um, are there certain um, roads once, once we're on there's no turning back?
1: Well, I don't think we've crossed that Rubicon yet. I mean, I, I think there's hope. I mean, we're always being threatened by socialism. I mean, it's a constant threat. But right now, it's getting worse and worse all the time. So, but we just need to, to stop the progress. You know, and if, if we resist, then they'll pull back.
4: But aren't there other isms that are equally threatening?
1: Um, I would say that's right now, that's probably the biggest threat to this country right now is socialism.
4: And and why do you think that is?
1: Well, because it basically takes away our freedom and our individual liberties, and we just basically become a slave to the state. That's why I wrote the book that we're all going to end up slaves because of slavery if if we stay on this course.
4: Um, How do how do we go from um, an an effort a concerted effort in our history at various times? To end slavery and the fallout from it, to creating a new and different kind of slavery.
1: Yeah, because that's what I think. I, I think this, you know, it, you know, slavery was a horrible thing, and and it had to be, you know, had to be abolished, and it was, and, and that was a good thing. Uh, but so- socialism also has to be abolished too, because it. I mean, the, it's it's another form of slavery, and if we if we allow this to happen, you know, it's. We're all going to end up slaves, not just uh, Africans.
4: When you talk about socialism, and you know, because of uh, American politics, presidential politics, and, and recent campaigns, and, I, and I'm thinking a little bit about Bernie Sanders referring to himself as a democratic socialist. When we when we look at socialism in its different degrees, how does it not? set people more free by government meeting people's needs.
1: Well, what I, what I mean by socialism, I mean, there's all, all kinds of forms of socialism. That's, that's I'm, what I'm
4: getting at, Brian, so that, you know, we get some sense of, you know, uh, there are certain entitlement programs that have really lifted people up, and some would say that those are socialist programs. Um, but you're talking about something different than that, I think.
1: Yeah, what I'm talking about is socialism where the state becomes god, where it's everything. You know, I'm not talking about social security or or that kind of thing. I'm talking about where basically you become a ward of the state, the state is god and you and you have no choice but to serve that that idol. That's that's what I mean by socialism.
4: And and how does that not then cross the line into communism or does it?
1: Yeah, I mean basically socialism is the gateway drug to communism ultimately it ends in communism but uh i think where we're at right now is communism you know the, the marxism that they had in the soviet union and uh in they have in cuba it doesn't really work and everybody knows that so what they're doing is they're kind of having this half halfway socialism capitalism like what they have in china and that's i think it's going to be the model for the future. It's not going to be Soviet-style communism. It's going to be more of a Chinese-style communism or socialism.
4: Is that because of the, the strength of the free market system?
1: Yeah, because communism doesn't work. I mean, it's been tried over and over and over again throughout history, and it never works. So I think the Chinese realize that, yes, you have to have some kind of engine to produce uh capital you know so they're pseudo capitalists, but they're not pure capitalists and so they have they have to have an engine to produce the wealth you know before they tell you what to do with it
4: <laughs> that's you know I never really thought of it that way, brian, but that's that's a great way to to look at it um because you know we we keep hearing about China becoming um, much freer. Uh, in terms of its its market and um being more interactive with the rest of the world in terms of commerce um, but yet very little has changed socially
1: mm-hmm. yeah cuz i mean that's this i mean you could you could have individual corporations that are you know not run by the state but the state can still tell you how to run your corporations i mean go ahead oh yeah i was just saying that yeah you could, i mean just because technically there are uh, corporations that aren't run by the state but the state can still dictate you know how to run your corporation i mean it's it's kind of a you know blurry line but it's it's you know the same thing basically what you have in china and what you had in russia aren't that much different other than you had in china you can actually have a a, a system or they have a system where you can you You can create wealth without the state you know without it being run by the state directly but but in the end, it's still run by the state because they have the power to tell you what to do
4: now in this in this book um it it takes place in two thousand forty eight um starts with a couple guys uh, meeting in prison, and one is is changed forever by the other or at least his perspective is about to change um is there it it makes me think that there's some some hope built into this story that despite the road we might be on there's always a way to um, make things right again
1: yeah uh, that's right i think you know even though the the book is kind of bleak in terms of its uh, content. You know that. Well, it the, isn't the basis.
4: typical dystopian novel, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, there there is hope. I mean, and the that's what the they that the character Timothy learns is yes, even in the darkest times, there's still hope. I mean, God is always in control, even in the darkest times.
4: And how? You know, I, I think in, in the wake of, uh, like, the, the attack on the Capitol on January 6th and some other violent outbreaks in this country, and, and I've often asked um, politicos, if they're, how do we get the toothpaste back in the tube?
1: Well, I think that the problem we're having right now is just people, they're, they're dividing us for political gain. And we have to make them stop. I mean, yeah, we don't all have to agree on everything, but we just have to agree on on a on a common way of life, you know? and then people won't fight so much. Because you know, anytime you 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 balkanize people and you make them <clears throat> fight for for a piece of the pie, um, you're going to have you know unrest. But if if people, if you give people a chance to, to build their own pie and and for and to keep their own pie they won't fight
4: is this book a uh, a one off or or is it potentially part of a series
1: um well um right now it's just uh it's just one book i mean i haven't written a sequel yet but if there's a demand for it i would write it
4: i just i just wonder cuz sometimes i talk to writers and and i get the feeling they get to the end of the book and go but wait there's more <laughs>
1: Yeah there there's more to be said than what I said but this is you know basically covers um early american history to the projected socialist takeover of america but there's yeah there can definitely be another another uh, novel if I wanted to write one
4: Well Brian I have to take a break here can you stick around so we can talk some more Sure All right. My guest is Brian Rodolfi. He's the author of a new novel called Chains of Slavery that offers a unique perspective on America's past and possible future. And we're going to have more with uh, Brian. But first, we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV. Our Voices Radio in Flint, 92.1 LPFM, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Hearing. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll have more about the new novel, Chains of Slavery, with author Brian Ridolfi right after this.
6: All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
4: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19,
5: Joe Vi from the Blue, Blue. Line, Dan
1: Thurling.
7: Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Navode.
0: Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow.
1: State Senator Jim Annonic,
5: comedian Brian McCree. The
0: unknown comic
5: Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You you've always got great questions and you know the material and you and you care about it, and it's uh it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all
6: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
1: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new novel called Chains of Slavery by uh, author Brian Ridolfi, who joins me by phone. Brian, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Um, Brian, we were talking about uh, this book and the fact that it's, you know, set in the uh, in the in the future. But I'm curious, um, and, and, and you talk about uh, a futuristic uh, American Revolution and the aftermath of that, and how we got to that by uh, tracing its roots back to the beginning of uh, American history. And moving forward from uh, the original um, uh, importing of slaves to uh, to the American colonies, and um, and I guess what I'm wondering is, uh, what were there things in the news, or or, or something about the way things are going? Politically and socially in America today, that got you thinking about this and and uh, inspired this story.
1: Yeah, actually, years ago, I kind of I was thinking to myself, you know, if we ever end up a socialist dictatorship, it's probably going to be because of slavery, because that's probably the one most contentious thing in our history, and people ha- used it in the past as as a way to, for political or they, they exploited it for political power, and they're doing that again now. So basically, what I was foreseeing years ago is, is happening again right now, that, you know, they're using, people are using the institution of slavery or, or you know, the, and, and racism as a way to gain more political power. So I kind of saw that years ago, and that's kind of what inspired this novel.
4: But what does that, but what does that say about, uh, legitimate efforts to be accepting of diversity?
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with diversity. I mean, uh, but the thing is, I don't think it's really diversity that they're after, because it's really tolerance is not diversity. It's really a, a, a monoculture. It's really what they're striving for, not diversity. I mean, if they were striving for you know, e pluribus unum, that would be fine, but they're really striving for a, a monoculture, and if you don't ascribe to that culture, the orthodoxy, you're you're ostracized, you're, you're punished. So I don't think they're really striving for diversity, they're striving for, for conformity, really.
4: And who's they?
1: I would say political powers in this country, you know, uh, the socialists, there's there's socialists in this country. I mean, they, they don't say they're socialists, but they are. I mean, um, I think you know just like in the past you know there were people that want there's always people that want to control people and there's in this country there are people that that want to control people i mean it's it's nothing new there's nothing new under the sun so they're you they're saying it's diversity and inclusion but it's really quite the opposite it's quite or- orwellian i mean if you ever read that novel you know that war is peace and peace is war i mean it's it's everything they're saying is the opposite of what they're saying that that diversity is really not diversity it's really you, you know monoculture or or uh conformity
4: yeah you're talking about uh, george orwell's book 1984 yeah. and newspeak
1: yeah exactly it, it's you know I, I i think you really have to judge people by their actions not their words cuz right now words are just being obliterated they don't their meaning though their meanings are worthless now so you have to judge people by their actions. what are they trying to do? Are they really trying to produce diversity or not i mean i don 't it doesn 't look like it looks like they 're trying to produce the opposite they 're trying to produce conformity and, and uh, obedience
4: now what you what you have done in this novel is taken uh, Actual American history, and then um, used it in a way to create a trajectory into this imagined future in 2048 after a second American revolution. Um, did you have to do quite a bit of research to to put those building blocks in place, those pieces of American history?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, you you had I had to know what I was talking about, even though I'm not a historian. By uh, training, you know, I, I had to read a lot of material and see what was happening. You know, see, uh, you know, you know, the, all the. Or I had to read a lot of books and and a lot of articles to get it, to get it to sound like it sounds. I mean, um, otherwise, the the book would have made no sense. Yes, you have to have solid facts, you know, a building blocks, you know, to to make your case. And then the stuff about the future, even though it's fiction, I still used historical. Uh, information to build that story too, because like I said, I basically predicted the future by looking to the past. That, that I'm just saying that what people did in the past, they're doing now, and we're just going to have the same result. So like what happened in Russia, China, Cuba, Venezuela, you know, we're going to do the same thing and end up in the same situation they did.
4: Now, to a certain degree, you had to to use these historical building blocks and... You know, draw lines from A to B to C to D, and then and then project a trajectory forward to land in this uh, in this new um, era that you portray in the book. What were some of the, the key points that helped connect the dots and and uh, um, steer the trajectory?
1: Yeah, it actually kind of happened serendipitously. I mean, I didn't plan. You know, I didn't say it's going to go here to here to here. It just okay. I saw. You know, this this would happen. And I said, okay, but that then led to this, and then that led to this. Uh, so it, you would just, you know, it would just fall into place. The book kind of just fell into place. You know, and. And the, the reason why it's so realistic is because it's based on real information.
4: But are there some some major turning points? I mean, you talk about it begins with slaves landing in Jamestown. But yeah. Are there other points in history that you use as, as touchstones as you pave a path to the future?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, everything. Um, I would say, yes, slavery. I mean, if you... I don't want to give out the whole book, but uh, yeah. So it starts with the institution, ends with you know political first. That that institution starts political strife, which creates a civil war, which creates a control by one part, one party control, and that 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 one party control results in an, in a you know in an economic uh, collapse, and then that economic collapse. Produces social programs. The social programs produce more strife, and it goes on and on and on. So it's a it's a chain of events like that that Is, causes America to go full circle. So it's one thing leads to another, to leads to another, to leads to another, until eventually we end up a socialist dictatorship.
4: When you talk about one party uh, control um, in the U.S., there's always a majority rules a belief that the majority rules, but the majority sort of pendulums back and forth uh, throughout history between Republicans and Democrats, at least for the last hundred-plus years. Um, Yeah. Do you think of Republicans and Democrats as actually being part of the same party?
1: Some of them, yes. Uh, I would say there's, in, in some cases... Democrats and Republicans are the same in what in other cases no um,
4: because in some of these other countries that you talk about one party rule means one party becomes in charge and they just stay there there's no back and forth um, does it does it how does that interrupt the flow that that back and forth in American politics
1: yeah well I think that's the ultimate the ultimate goal i think is just a one party system you know where there is no competition of ideas anymore it's just this is what this is what we're going to give you and take it you know whether you like it or not that, you know i think that's the ultimate goal and i think that's what the book is saying that eventually we're going to get to a point where it doesn't matter who's in office they're just going to ram it down our throat what they want or they're just going to tell us what to do whether we like it or not you know and and everything else is just a, it's just a charade you know, the voting and all that.
4: When did you, how long did it take to write this book, and and when was it
1: finished? Um, I finished it right before the 2016 election, so there's nothing in there about Donald Trump or, uh, or Hillary Clinton, because I didn't know who was going to win the election.
4: Or the so pandemic. It took me
1: about, yeah, or the pandemic. Uh, there are things in the book, though, that, that actually did, happened that I wrote about in in a future or about the future you know one thing I said that there that there would be riots in the cities uh, and that happened uh, I said there would be uh, there would be you know uh, not, not a pandemic but I did someone in the book did die of an unknown respiratory disease uh, and there was other things like uh, attacks on free speech and and free thought you know uh, a need for a uh, for huge gov- new government programs you know, uh, also conspiracies against uh, the nation's leaders, you know, left and right. Um, and so there's a lot of things that, even though I, I finished the book in 2016, they started happening in 2020 and 2021. Well, and also an, an assault on the Capitol. I did, that's in the book, too, even though I, I wrote that four years before it happened.
4: How much of the, the book is fiction and how much of it is cautionary tale?
1: Well, I would say uh, it's a hundred percent cautionary tale. Fiction, I would say about twenty percent. The last couple chapters are fiction. The, the first eight chapters are a history lesson, so it kind of gets you up to speed to what you're seeing today, and then and then the last two chapters predict what's going on, what's going to happen from here on out. And like I said, some of those things have already happened, like the riots and the the political conspiracies and those kind of things.
4: So it doesn't really start. Um, uh, it 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 runs chronologically it doesn't start in the in the future and then look back or does it
1: no it it basically the conversation between the two men in prison it it starts you know uh with with the institution of slavery and then or actually it starts out with the uh, the uh the protagonist telling telling the 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 narrator that that This is how they ended up in prison, and then he go. Then he goes into step by step how you know everything that end that happened. To, or they, they, he he tells them every step by step what happens, so to explain how they ended up in prison.
4: Okay, so it 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 does start out in what is considered contemporary time for the purpose of the novel in the year two thousand forty eight, and then yeah. becomes a long flashback, bringing you know step by step up to current time,
1: yeah, yeah, oh cool, yeah, so it's all back yeah, it's all thinking backward, yeah, I got the idea um from the book how to write the book from a I was watching t v and there was a Russian political ad, and there was a two guys in a gulag and and one guy's telling the other guy, you know we're we're in here because we because we voted for Putin, you know, and so it's kind of that same concept that he's explaining you know one guy's explaining to another guy. Why they're in prison? You know, any, any, you know, and he goes through history, goes through history on as to how the, you know, step by step why they're in prison.
4: I, you know, I was going to ask if there were some some writers, um, and and some other stories uh, or or films even perhaps that helped inform your writing and this story. I wouldn't have imagined Russian television.
1: Yeah, I, I said that was a perfect way to do it.
4: No, that's 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 interesting. But are there uh, are there writers um, that inspire you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I liked uh, like I, said, I mentioned George Orwell. Sure. You know, I and uh, that's a classic. Also, yeah, also stylistically, I I, I I wrote this book similar to The Harbinger. You know, where it's a conversation. Mm. I figured that that'd be a good way to to get to To inform people is is through a, a a fictitious conversation between two people. Interesting.
4: Um. So, when did the when did the book come out or drop, as they say?
1: Um. It was released last March.
4: And, um, did it did it take all of that four or five years to um? Get a publisher. I you finished in 2016, and then it didn't get published till what 2021. What was going on in the meantime? Was that you trying to shop it around?
1: Well, I got a couple offers early on, but I didn't like the offers I was getting, so I just waited until I until I found an uh, a you know something that I would I would I found more appealing. So basically, to make a long story short. You know, I, I was watching the news, and I said, you know, a lot of these things that I said in the book are happening right now. So I said, I better find a publisher quick, you know. So I I, I found one after that. You know, I put in a real concerted effort to, to find a publisher in like 2020, and I got one pretty pretty quick. And it was pretty timely. I mean, so it's actually a good thing that I didn't get a publisher early on. Maybe it's better because it's, it's a more, I guess it's more pertinent now than it was four years ago.
4: And this is not your first book.
1: No, no. I, I mostly write biblical reference books. I, I, I wrote a best-selling uh, Bible concordance called "What Does the Bible Say About?" Um, and I wrote, and I also write epigrams and maxims. So I, have a, I also have a book called "Useful Maxims."
4: You, um, Brian, you are the director of biblical studies for the Rima Bible School in London, England, but you live in California. How do you end up with a gig in London?
1: Um, yeah, I work with uh, Ewan Denny in London. He has an online Bible school. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I just I write uh, commentaries for his uh, his school.
4: Well, it's a absolutely fascinating idea for a story, Brian, and um, and and I can't help wondering this as as I learn more and more about about this book. And again, uh, for the listeners, the uh, book is called Chains of Slavery. The end began at the beginning with an institution. Um, Brian, as I learn more about this book, it it has movie written all over it.
1: Yes, I I was thinking the same thing. It probably would make a pretty decent film, I would think
4: when you're writing do you do you imagine it the way we the way we uh see movies
1: um what do you you mean by that
4: well do you picture places and characters the way you might see them on the screen
1: i I can't say that when i was writing the book i was thinking of it as a movie it was really more of a tale but but i think while i was writing so you know this this would be a pretty good movie. It'd be kind of like a, almost like a documentary movie. You know, it wouldn't be an action adventure movie, obviously, because they're in they're in jail. But uh, it would be like more of a documentary type film.
4: Well, again, this is uh, this is fascinating, but very different from the other things uh, that you've written. Mm-hmm. Have you got the bug now for writing novels?
1: Yeah, actually, to, to be honest, I, I I really like writing reference books. That's my favorite thing to write. Um, but I, like I said, there there's two things in life I want to I want to do. One is teach uh, teach God's word, the Bible, and to warn people if there's danger. So this novel was was a way to warn people. That, you know, if, if you know something's going to happen and you don't tell people, you know, then the blood's going to be on you. So what I, why I wrote this novel was just, you know, it, it might be a one-time thing. It may not be. I don't know. God only knows. But, yes, this novel is set out just to warn people of the danger that's looming.
4: Well, it's, uh, it's absolutely a fascinating uh, storyline. And... Uh, Brian Ridolfi is uh, the author. It's called Chains of Slavery. Um, and it uh, offers a unique perspective on America's past and possible future. And it's, um, I, I, I think it would make a great movie, Brian. Uh, Brian, we're just about out of time. And I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Uh, Brian, do you have a website?
1: Yes, it's uh, brianrodolfi.com, B-R-I-A-N-R-I-D-O-L-F-I.com. You, you'll find all my books there. Um, you'll find some maxims that I wrote. Uh, you can contact me through the website. There's even some links to where to buy the books. Um, but you can get my books anywhere books are sold.
4: Well, let's see. Um, I guess that uh, that wraps it up, but thanks so much for uh, spending this time and, and sharing a little information about this exciting new book.
1: Yes, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on. All right, take care.
4: Again, that was uh, Brian Rudolphi, the author of Chains of Slavery, and uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program coming up uh right after this
5: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now too. And even now.
2: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID 19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
6: Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported.
7: Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
3: I was a disc jockey when I was 19. I was lucky. I found a job like, you know, when I should have been uh, still learning about it. And uh, it inspired Wonderful Wino and Willie West, a character of mine. Radio stations, of course, change personnel rather rapidly. Willie West is no longer at Wonderful Wino. He's been replaced by Scott Lame. Hi gang, Scott Lane here, the boss jock with the boss sounds from the boss list of the boss thirty that my boss told me to play. Right here on the nifty eight fifty, w Wonderful wino Wonderful <radio. laughs> Wonderful wino the big sound in the big town. Why no time? Bing-bong, five minutes past the big hour, five o'clock. Hey, we'll get started one of the big sounds this week. Number five, number five, number five, number five, number five, number five, last week was number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, Number nine. <laughs> moved up four spaces, four spaces, four spaces, four spaces, four spaces. <laughs> Here it is, one of the new super groups: Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Sacco, and Vanzetti. <laughs> And the ever-present footprints cross the shadows on the carpets of the hallways of the memories of your mind. Okay, kids, one of the big sounds and a great story behind that one. And you heard it first right here on Wonderful Wino, no wonderful Wino. Why no time, bing bong. five minutes past the big hour of five o'clock. Moving along with two in a row, a big double play, back-to-back sounds for you on this god Lane get-together on a wonderful Wednesday. Here's a tune that's really moving fast. When I say fast, it was recorded at nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> At 12 noon it was number 15, at 3 o'clock was the number one sound in town, and now it's a golden oldie. <laughs> Solid gold to make you feel old. Solid gold to make you feel old. A golden flashback from the summer of 69, before you were born, remember kids? Here they are, the red, white, and blue electric outdoor Protestant blues band. Jenny. we.
7: we wee
3: wee 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 it's always good to get into some super gold. Super gold! Okay, we'll take about five minutes out here for the latest news from around the world from the award-winning wino newsroom. And then back with more of the big sounds for you here on the Scott Lane Get Together for one of Wednesday afternoon wino time, Bing pong, five minutes past the big hour of five o'clock. Soon as we come back, we'll be listening on medical records, Won't You Take My Heart by the Donors, and My Body is Rejecting Your Heart by the Recipients. But first, why don't you, why don't you? why don't The nation and up your street. <laughs> Here it is, Wino News with Wino Newsman Bill Beeper. <laughs> Saigon, <laughs> Phnom Penh, Bangkok. That's it from Wino News. Details on the half hour. <laughs> Okay, kids, I'm back with more of the big sounds for you here. Wino time, bing-bong, five minutes past the big hour of five o'clock. Right here on Wonderful Wino, wonderful Wino. More hits, more often. Big number seven this week. Number seven, number seven, number seven, number seven, number seven, number seven. This is one of the great bands from San Francisco, Brain Damage. And a tune that's uh, really making it for them. In fact, it's number three, number three, number three, number three, number three, number three, number three. That's right, it moved up four spots while I was talking about it. And here it is. <laughs> Okay, one of the big sounds that you heard right here. Ah, wonderful whino, wonderful whino, Why no time? Ping pong. Five minutes past the big hour, at five o'clock. And say, stick around, following the show, kids. will be featuring some local basketball, local basketball. <laughs> Today, Andy Granatelli vocational plays. The Mighty Purple of Owsley High. One of the big games, too. And okay, let's move back with more of the big sounds, Billy and the Blemishes, and One Last Pimple. I got one last pimple from going steady with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't know whether to break it or leave it alone. It's- the only one I call my hey, own. And don't forget, kids, if you have a problem like that, yes, if you're the only one in the crowd who doesn't have unsightly blemishes, pick up on Pippalon. <laughs> now you can put them anywhere you want. Put them all on one side of your face and look the other way. Put a peace sign on your forehead. Spell out your girlfriend's name on your back. Hey, coming up during the next hour here on the uh, Scott Lame Show, we'll be listening to the new John Lennon single, which, if you play it backwards at slow speed, it screws up your needle. <laughs> and don't forget, the Associated Press tells us that 218 people have been killed on the nation's highways. The National Safety Council expects a total of 500. You're not trying, friends. Thank you, guys. <laughs>
4: Wrapping up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program the way we began, with a little hat tip to radio rock legend Peter C. Cavanaugh, who passed away over the weekend at age 79. And that was uh, Sonny Hug, who used to play at uh, various uh, Peter C. gigs at uh, Sherwood Forest Wild Wednesday Super Sunday. In fact, I remember Pete introducing those guys and them opening with that very song of course we had uh, George Carlin was son of Wino but I want to say thanks to our uh, other guests on the show today this last hour the author of Chains of Slavery Brian Rodolfi and before that we talked with uh, Mariah Andrich deputy editor of uh, Country Magazine talking about the uh, new book from Reader's Digest, Great American Road Trips, Scenic Drives. And, of course, opened up this morning with a tribute to Peter C. Cavanaugh. See you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom
0: Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions.